Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of origin, recorder of videos, and a tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Monday edition by bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream crafting Icewind Down, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. You're playing characters of all Robin, Felice, Thrust, Edmund, Orth, Thimbleweed. I did that way too fast. Uh, this is not the right stream for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. There, of course, will be spoilers. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our D&D sessions and reviews here on YouTube. I promise I will do more reviews. <laughs> I've not gotten a chance to do them in the last, like, two weeks. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash Rogue Watson for our campaign. We use Roll20.net, and for streaming, I use Open Broadcaster Software. With Streamlabs, I just realized I'm wearing my headphones and I don't need to be doing that. All right, we are back talking about the Necropolis at Etherin, and we are really getting towards the end at this point. I'm getting really nervous because now I'm trying to figure out how to wrap all this shit up. <laughs> I mean, we've done, we, uh, we made so much progress last time, it, it freaked me out almost. We've been, you know, averaging like one to one and a half locations and this time we did all of the hall of silk all of the tower of illusion um kind of went through a uh encounter in the streets including a sighting by the shardling golem and then finally arriving at the uh tower of necromancy so we'll be doing obviously the tower of necromancy next time i can talk about that here i guess although i feel like i'm i've prepped about as much as i can prepare for I guess we can talk about um, what happens if things go wrong, because most assuredly they will. <laughs> and thankfully, story-wise, they don't have—I don't have to have anything happen in a certain way. I'm really kind of punting the ball over to the players, and they'll take the reins and determine how much they want to interact with uh, this tower and its denizens. Although they'll need to do it somewhat because they still need to get the main quest out of it. Also, need to really figure out if we're going to be doing the Tower of Evocation or not. I went back and actually reviewed what uh, while Robin told the uh, Ice Devil and specifically said you will gather clues required to enter the main tower from four towers, uh, which would be, they would already, they only need to do three because I think we, they've done the Abjuration, Conjuration, Divination, Illusion, and now they're about to do Necromancy, which is five. So the other team only is doing three towers at this point. If we make the players do evocation, that means they would be doing six of the eight towers. That kind of feels like too many, even though you would need the trophy to do the thing, but they don't know that, so it's maybe you don't need the trophy, and it's just for funsies that they did the Chain Lightning Stadium, which is totally fine. It's just worth money for getting that trophy also. So maybe we'll just skip all that. Um, I don't mind the Tower of Evocation. I think it's it's fine, but it's just kind of in the interest of time. I don't really see the need to do every single tower, and I think if I did have to rate them... I mean, it's, you know, it's a mid-level tower. It's kind of equal to uh, Conjuration, I guess, in ways. I'm I'm really glad we got to do uh, Divination, Illusion, and fixing to do ne Necromancy, which was all pretty good. We had fun with Abjuration, too. So I've been pretty happy with the picks and the way they've worked out. But i kind of feeling that we've done so much in Aetherin. I've I've really milked this ancient cow for about as much as we can do and expanded... You know, I'm already using expanded towers of Etherin to help flesh out areas, and I'm also then been designing my own areas. So, I mean, we're on session. I don't know what this is going to be like, ten or eleven, I think, for um, just for Etherin alone. Uh, 
Doom of Etherin. Yeah, this is going to be the 10th session since we entered Etherin, which is a lot. So maybe after Necromancy, we'll start to wrap things up. And at that point, we'll need to have a scene where they come out of Necromancy and they can meet back up with Baelish, Nass, and the Ice Devil. How do I handle the Ice Devil? I don't know. Um, I mean, the Ice Devil could have completed its work and then Baelish and Nass could have... It did say they had to meet up with him, though, didn't it? We'll visit. You'll gather the clues required into the main tower from these towers. Then you will meet us and provide the information you have learned in full. I think is that only then will you be allowed to go free or something along those lines. So maybe he can meet up and then forget if there was a if they told him if uh, they need, I need to review that part again. I guess if they were supposed to deal with Valish and Nass at all or not, the Ice Devil is. Pretty strong, but Valish and Nass are going to be some really strong stat blocks as well, and it would be uh, very anticlimactic to just deal with all of that stuff off-screen, too. So clearly we can do something, but that should be... It kind of reminds me of, in a way, uh, Omu at Tomb of Annihilation, where we had the standoff with the Red Wizards outside of the final dungeon. So they had completed all their shrines, they got back together, they got the parts they didn't need from the Red Wizards, and then uh, there was a big battle uh, that ensued right outside. Of, and it was kind of a little mini boss fight in a way. Or maybe a legit boss fight. I don't know. Kind of the boss fight of Omu. And then they were able to enter the final dungeon. Maybe I can swing something like that here. They still... they uh, Valrobin did talk to uh, Avarice. And she basically said, hey, I'm here. It's kind of weird timing. Maybe I should have introduced Avarice sooner. Because now it feels like, well, do we need to go talk to her? Can we just like go in the spire and complete things on our own? I can have her, you know, troops maybe around. Maybe they're guarding the spire. And, or maybe even when the players approach, they can, you know, phone into uh, Avarice, who can, like, teleport over here and appear. And then that's how we can make a big kind of social slash combat sequence, depending on what choices the players make. The interesting thing is, I think, you know, if this were a video game, this would be a very scripted sequence where, like, the the player would have to choose between which faction to support. Um, a number of video games kind of do the faction route when it comes to uh, choosing your path. But this is D&D, and we can kind of let the players play a little loosey-goosey with it. But I think, ultimately, Baelish, Avarice, and Valin are all opposed to each other, and none of them would like to ally with one another... But maybe you could try to string them along and say, like, well, let's all try and just get to the Mithalar. The shitty part is I don't want to put that many NPCs with the players. So if they try to do some kind of shenanigans like that, then it would be a case where, like, the only fair thing is is maybe for the players to go in and deal with and, and maybe, you know, turn off the force field, basically. So this is let, let's them get into the Spire entrance and then only by defeating Eriolarthus maybe can they actually... Uh, turn off the force field, and then in case they kind of didn't decided to not really d choose any one faction, then they can have a big showdown at the very, very end with all these different factions trying to get their hands on the Mithalar, and then it really determines how the players uh, handle all this, in which case I'll just try to have different scripted events and sequences in terms of who's attacking whom and how that plays out because it's kind of crazy and I tell you right now I'm not quite sure how that's going to work but the one thing we can script is the actual inside of the Spire of Irgalarthus which I am going to change at least half of I think um, I want to change for sure the final uh, boss I don't want to use a Demi-Lich I want to turn him into an Elder Brain I think that's a much cooler uh, creation and kind of goes uh, is more thematically appropriate, and, and plus the whole brain in the jar thing just makes sense. So I like maybe the first little uh, half of the Spire of Arialarthus, where they come in and there's brains in a jar, and it's just kind of like a bunch of social things they learn about. There's kind of an important NPC that you meet who, I really like the idea of it, it's a brain in a jar attached to a helmed horror, so like the, the head is the brain in the jar, and she was like an apprentice of Arialarthus, and, and she... Um, kind of provides a lot of important information uh, to the players about what's going on here and basically how to fix Etherin, which apparently involves shoving his staff into the obelisk and like going back in time and doing all this. I'm not sure I'm going to 
play upon that. I think I'm going to keep it focused on just dealing with the Mythalar and the, you know, explosive arcane energies that are essentially building and they need to get in there. And then I would love to create kind of a classic, like, uh, like season three of Stranger Things kind of a, a feel where, oh shit, this thing is going to blow. And the only way we can, um, turn it off is if somebody like sacrifices themselves in order to do it uh on, uh end of dragon age origins did, did a good like sacrifice at the end storyline as well where you could kind of uh choose based on the you know choices you made along the way in terms of who who uh, would even volunteer to do that or you could as the player choose to do that or you could find some really dark magic means to figure out how to do it and i thought that was all pretty interesting so i would like to try to work that out if i can but that's gonna be it's going to be challenging for sure. Um, for now, I guess we'll look at the Tower of Necromancy again and just make sure I've got all my ducks in a row for that place. I need to clean up my maps too. I've got all these maps still available. So we don't need the Wellspring. Not need the Hall of Silk. We do not need the Tower of Illusion. That was really fun, by the way. I enjoyed the hell out of that. Tower of Divination. All right, Tower of Necromancy. By the way, hello to Rodrigo, Sylvan Fox, Ranger Sierra, Stan, Nate, Jeremy. All are doing well. I need to put a real map too. Uh, oops, already on the map, sir. Go right there. Skip somebody. I just skipped Edmund. Yeah, and I already described the introduction of this room, which is really, really fun. Just a crap ton of crawling claws everywhere, and a brain in the jar, uh, trying to dissect a Nothic, which I think he has. Don't put that. He starts out with a face. <laughs> I love the face. ACT. So we talked about the... Aura of Gentle Repose, the operating table. A man named Lawrence is now a brain in the jar. I don't uh, know how powerful this stat block actually is in case this down to a fight. Creatures. Brain in a jar, which I think was a stat block introduced in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. A CR3 has blind sight at 120 feet. See also detect sentience. Can sense the presence and location of any creature within 300 feet of it that has intelligence of three or higher. Wow. Uh, Spellcasting abilities intelligence. Can cast the following spells at will Chill Touch, Detect Thoughts, Mage Hand, Zone of Truth, Charm Person, and Hold Person three times a day. Once per day, each compulsion, hold monster, sleep at third level, and Tosh's hideous laughter. So, kind of some crowd control enchantment spells for the most part. Got magic resistance, and it's got the lovely Illithid Mind Blast. 60 foot cone, DC 14 intelligence save for psychic damage, and stunned. That is nasty. So that's a pretty strong stat block. Obviously, they are not physically very powerful. AC of 11, average hit points of 55. So I like what the book does in the Spire of Ariel Arthas, which is combine one of those with an with a helmed horror, helmed horror, uh, where it's got like the it's the brain in the jar is the helmet, and the brain of the jar can apparently hover. The whole thing hovers, I guess. The jar itself. Uh, can detach itself and hover above the head, but that's kind of adding like a tank to a spellcaster. That would work uh, pretty well. But I don't see there being combat, at least from Lawrence. He is uh, pretty chill. I, I mean, he's... He could go a little crazy, I guess. Tied to that stat block. You should be tied to that stat block, sure. Sir, brain in a jar. There you are. You are Lawrence. Good 
55 average hit points. I may give him more just because he's an aimed NPC. Help you there. I don't see them fighting you. It's mainly because we lack, I just realized we lack kind of like a, a good, like a lawful good person who's like hates like creepy shit. You know, we're all kind of like anti-heroes here, so I don't see anybody of just like, oh, what is going on here? Or like any kind of paladin or something. Because that would be the kind of thing that would turn this into a fight. 69, Lawrence. Nice. 69 hit points for you, sir. Preparing for the shit weather tomorrow. Dude, you want to talk about crazy weather? Um, yeah, they do get bugged. I I guess I could fix it. They they come back online whenever they join the map. Um, it got to ninety degrees today in Texas, and my oldest had a softball game today, so everybody was just melting. Obviously, heat is not unusual to Texas, but uh, 90 in March is still a little much. A little too hot. Plenty of that in the summer. If I open the sheets first, then they will be fixed. Does he have uh, Lord Marbury with him? I think he, I think he does. That's right, because he, yeah, he had him for that. We just didn't see Lord Marbury used in the Hall of Silk or the Tower of Illusions. We kind of forgot about him. <laughs> He's technically here. He's just side or something. There. All right, so what does Lawrence know? Lawrence no longer believes he has a brain in a jar and does strange things like wearing a lab coat hanging from his jar, floating around with crawling claws at the end of his sleeves as if he had hands and drawing facial expressions on the glass with paint. Characters suggest that Lawrence is a disembodied brain. He begins to grow irritable. That could probably happen. Ray is very uh, blunt and direct. Reminded of his form three times, he suffers a psychic break and becomes hostile towards the characters. I can do the old like fallout thing where he gets, because he, he cutely has different... Um, <laughs> facial expressions, so he could like really get angry and ang angrier uh, on the token. Successful deception check and calm him down if hostility arises. Those are the arcane principles the Necromancer ritual to create a brain in a jar. Relax precision medical skills. Keep the brain intact during surgery. What do they get for this though? Successfully incapacitate the restrained Nothic without damaging the body. Use of poisons. Sounds like a Nautic pattern world monster also work. He has hypnotic, or he has hold monster, doesn't it? Kind of a yeah, he does have hold monster. Okay, he could just do that. Plot hole there. Um, make a wisdom medicine check to identify safe place to perform surgical cuts. Edmund would probably enjoy this. It seems all very macabre. Then make the surgical cuts and perform the extraction with a dex check without damage to the brain. Process successful, Lawrence completes the necromantic component of the ritual, killing the nothing and creating another very confused brain in a jar. Let's offer to repeat the process for any characters who wish to partake. So maybe I need to actually have another brain in the jar waiting to get spawned, and then that one could go crazy and start attacking people. Just for funsies. Let's say Veneranda brain. That's nuts. Is that the only token we have for brain in a jar? Yeah, okay. Let's go with brain in a... Because that's the one named NPC, but that should be the common one. Wait, so... You can have random hit points. You up here to be spawned. I don't see the crawling claws being in combat unless they attack Lawrence for some reason. Uh, otherwise, I don't think they get any reward for doing this. It's just the uh, friends we made along the way. 
Use it on a player character that's within the last 24 hours. I guess it gives you a, it unlocks the ability to put somebody in a brain in a jar. <laughs> You've got that ability now. Congratulations. I suppose if somebody does it perfectly well, I could give inspiration or something. They're really into it. And then, of course, we've got Catavix if they go upstairs. Uh, so as Lawrence has been doing this for like thousands of years, it's kind of crazy. Um, they move upstairs and they find his still preserved body because of gentle repose. The bones are part of a fossil collection. Soul is trapped inside the large emerald via the soul jar spell, or sorry, magic jar spell. Catavix quickly says his options attempt to possess the body of one of the characters. This is going to be huge. This could determine a lot of what happens. As soon as somebody enters the room, possesses one of the characters with a preference toward those who are not obviously charismatic. So I guess the idea being he's smart enough to know it's a charisma save, and people who look charismatic have that kind of glowing personality would be have a better chance of resisting him. Which I think is everybody except Valrobin, because charisma... Well, I say that. I say charisma is actually not a dumb stack. A lot of people use that as their spellcasting stat. Pretty sure Valrobin's got a yeah, plus 10. We've got Thimbleweed, who would be an obvious target, because as a bug man, he probably doesn't have good charisma, which he doesn't. Minus 1. Ray would be a 1. It's a good choice as a barbarian. I feel like out of all my players, Edmund would by far have the most fun with this. So I would like to target Edmund first if I can, unless the party splits and other people go upstairs first. Um, but I would definitely have a preference of of fucking with Raymond because I think I think he would get the most enjoyment out of <laughs> suddenly acting like a necromancer. And Celeste actually has a plus five. She has proficiency in every single save. Is this something monks get? This is insane. Did I miss something here? Oh yeah, beginning at 14th level, your Master of Key grants you proficiency as all saving throws. Wow, I did miss that. I guess I never clicked on our sheet and actually saw it in action. I think it's been a key point to reroll and take the second result. That's fantastic. Suddenly, that is really powerful, by the way. You just got a plus five to all your saves. Holy shit. What a huge ability. Okay, so actually, Celeste is also up there with saves. So my real targets are Thimbleweed, Edmund, and Frey. Thimbleweed and Edmund both have minus ones, and Frey has a plus one for charisma save. So I'm feeling pretty confident I'm going to get somebody. Because it does say that uh, you immediately try another character if the first resists the saving throw until no viable targets remain. So I'm fairly confident I will be able to get that off. Trying to make that... Out zest. What's this one? Which literally says, hey, you are this character now. I don't think, I mean, it may not last that long because his, the very first thing that the necromancer does is try to is attempt to raise his body. No, oh, nope, that's not it. I put this in here. That's actually from the transmutation. Uh, back to necromancy. There it is. You've been possessed by high necromancer Cadavix. Soul has been ripped from their body and trapped inside of the large gemstone. Your character's soul can proceed from the emerald using their own senses. They can't move, can or take actions at all. Your character's body is now inhabited by a 2,000-year-old necromancer wizard named High Necromancer Cadavax, who you are now role-playing. So this is cool because I like the fact that Dan, uh, this is from Expanded Tires of Ethan, obviously, um, is like, hey, just give this to the player and let the player do this. And I think they would have a lot of fun with it. I think most players would have fun with this. Cadavix will grab the emerald that your soul is trapped in. With the emerald, keep it close and protect it from harm. Cadavix knows there's a 500 gold diamond in the room that he kept for emergencies. He will first try to... Which is why I think I'll be able to get this off, because the, the player is doing this and not me. 
We'll first try to locate it and then cast Raise Dead on his body. If he is successful, he return to his own body and return you to yours. Katavix's goal is to declare the fate of his lover, High Enchanter Evira, in the Tower of Enchantment. Shit, I need to change that. Because <laughs> that is not going to be part of my game. Damn it. Uh, rats. Rats, rats, rats. I will have to change that. Oh, hmm. Now, this is a good question. Do I... Do I reveal who his lover is to the person being possessed by him? That's tricky. There is an R that causes all bodies within it to be under the effect of a gentle repose spell. Catavex doesn't want to harm the party if he doesn't have to and will reveal that he has possessed one of their friends if he thinks it will help ensure their cooperation. Straight up, like, changes all your stats. And literally gives you different stat blocks, too, which is kind of funny. You become a a 12th level wizard. Which is technically a slight step down. You have zero 6th level spell slots. You know you cast Magic Jar. Yeah, unfortunately I have to change that bit. The High Enchanter Revire and the Tower of Enchantment. Because that is... I, I definitely don't want the players going after... The Tower of Enchantments, and instead the the big change I'm making as a lover was actually Oral, and that might, that would make him a possibly critically important NPC to deal with Oral when she shows up. Which she would once the uh, Mythalar has been exposed, I think. Uh, so I may have to just edit this, or just maybe black it out like redacted. I could do like a... Literally just get a black sharpie, like a... <laughs> <laughs> like the DM redacted this. Do it to Frey. Uh, Frey would probably enjoy it too, actually. Yeah, I could see, I could see, I could see Heather and Raymond both uh, getting a kick out of this. That's very true. We'll see which one makes up the stairs, and it's very possible that. They'll make the saves. The scary thing is, you know, Edmund has a flash of genius, which can help make saves. And then if, if they think about starting to deal out bardic inspirations, that would also help. But then it becomes a question of, like, how long do I let them do that versus when do I immediately do uh, let him attempt it again? It doesn't say anything if he just fails completely. Might be in like the troubleshooting section. <laughs> Tower of Necromancy. No, it doesn't mention. All players will enjoy deception between players or possession of their character. <laughs> Mine will, I think. And that's true. Uh, the only way that they can get this is from Katavix, though. Uh, the Rite of the Arcane Octad. He searches the room for a 500 gold diamond, which he locates after a minute. Character that makes a successful intelligence investigation check and searching for a diamond locates it before he does. That'd be interesting. So that creates another tense moment. For locating the diamond, Caddox will be casting Ray's Dead for the next hour. He believes he may be interrupted before beginning. He will say he'll destroy the body if, if I possess if you defy me. I'm not letting me have my body. This body shall suffice for my business. Yeah, so it's possible you don't let him raise his body because maybe they think that's too dangerous, but then he would just stay possessed, I think. Although, um, I, there, are, there are ways to expel the bodies, right? Because I, I assume this uses the ghost functionality of possession. We have to look up the ghost again. Although, we do not have any clerics on the team. The possession lasts until the body drops to zero hit points. The ghost ends it as a bonus action, or the ghost is turned or forced out by an effect like the dispel evil and good spell. Which I actually don't think the players have. Yeah, otherwise the body drops to zero hit points. Or that ghost leaves. That actually is, that lasts a long-ass time. Saying I should bump the necromancer up? Probably a good play. Uh, what stat block did I end up going with? That's just what's written on that sheet. I don't actually know what stat block I'm using. It's... 
Necromancer from the, I think it's a Cobalt Press, Cobalt Press Creature Codex. Which is a CR6. Which is pretty close. Doesn't quite have six level spells. That one says it's a 10th level spellcaster. So actually, I may need to bump this one up a bit based on what that sheet said. Last. Alright, so what is your stat block again? Intelligence 20. Change that. Save is probably a plus 7 then. Saving throws actually says plus nine for you. Wisdom is a 12, plus five. Charisma score is 11. Keep his higher stats. Uh, Grim Harvest, once per turn a living creature fails a saving throw. Harmed by one of the Necromancer's Necromancy spells at first level. Hard Necromancer regains HP equal to three times the spell's level. Necromancer casts Animate Dead. It can target one additional corpse or pile of bones, creating another zombie or skeleton as appropriate. Seven additional, nine HP, and a plus three to weapon damage rolls. Better Animate Deadsies. Of course, the Chill Touch Cantrip. Uh, what is your spellcasting stat? DC 17 plus 9 to hit. I mean, that seems strong enough right there. How do I actually tell the sheet it's a... Up your challenge rating? I would to just cast Chill Touch. Uh, that's only a plus eight. God, it's only 2d8 at that level still? No, it should be 3d8. Yeah, I need to make that 3d8. How do you know what level you are? It still just says 1d8. Progression. Global Magic Caster level. Alright, let's make you twelve. Now let's see what this does. Still a plus eight. You are rolling three D eight now. Uh so is your DC still low? Let's see what here looks like. DC 16. I'm gonna make everything one higher. I could do the challenge rating or I could just add one. Just add one to both of these. See if that fixes it. There we go. C 17. Jeez, I'm rolling really good for these chill touches. Right on the chill touch. It's two 3d8s. Ooh, that's delicious. Almost a max chill touch on the second one. How exciting. That's an appropriate plus nine. All right, I, that's probably good enough. That'd be wild too if the party decides, okay, well, let's battle, get our friend back. All right, damn it. Necromancers get minions. Yes, although you do have to be able to target a corpse, I think. A pile of bones or a corpse of medium or small humanoid with a range. Uh, which there are bones in the room that he's in, so he could technically animate them. Valin could as well. Valin would probably be pretty ex uh, excited about it. In fact, I need to put her in this room for Valin. I forgot about you. Everybody forgets about Valin. Archmage is probably a bit. I mean, I, I kind of liked this one because it was that mid range stat block that I was looking for. Wasn't super huge, but got the job done. I will probably give him close to max hit points, though. Dude's a couple thousand years old. 
right? Fifty-nine is above average. Uh, let's see. The maximum will be nine times eight is seventy-two. Plus nine is eighty-one. I think. Let's just give them like seventy-five hit points. Pretty beefy wizard, and I'm just gonna go ahead and change his that block to have some permanent mage armor on. Okay, with that. Magic, Fear, Vampiric Touch, Blight, Ice Storm, Stone Skin, Cloud Kill, Cone of Cold. And then, of course, he has to have the Magic Jar spell, apparently. And then... At any point, the party asks for a line of the Rite of the Arcane Octad. He offers to tell them the line after they help him discover the fate of his lover, which is High Enchanter Avira in here. Of course, I will say it's going to be oral. The, the, mm, this is a problem, though, because I need to. He needs to be able to provide the line to where they can get inside. So maybe he'll say, "I'll, I'll provide the line." Hmm. I say he could make him make them. Take him to the spire entrance. Maybe he'll be like Iriala. No, with this character, I I probably won't need Veneranda because this character would surely be able to provide all the information that she would know. He's been there. I guess he hasn't been in the spire in the last two thousand years, so his information would be somewhat dated. But he would know a lot about Etherin and about this, the security systems. He wouldn't necessarily know what's going on with the whole Mithalar um, being on the fritz, basically, and creating like holes in space time. He would probably agree that that's a major problem. But I like, I really want to do the twist where his lover is Aurel the Frost Maiden and the players. Can either I could tease it to where the players either figure it out immediately, which they very well might, or they don't figure it out and it becomes just a thing that I can reveal later, or they figure it out and just don't tell him necessarily, or they do tell him. Like all these things are possible, but he will have to give the line to them, obviously, so they can make it inside the spire. It does say Cadavix's body will also give the line of the right if questioned under the effects of a speak with dead spell. That's pretty interesting. Uh, I don't have access to that spell, but maybe they can find a treasure of that. <laughs> because the party has this unique opportunity to speak with someone who lived in Etherin, they may have a lot of questions. You can have Cadavix's memory be hazy after 2,000 years. We cannot provide too many other details outside of the Etherin lore. The party asked about the Etherin Mythalar. You can have Cadavix share where it is located, and the last person attuned to it was his master, Uriel Larthus, who resided in the central spire of the city. That would be an interesting information. Basically reveal the fact that, like, if the Mithalar is functional, that means somebody must be attuned to it. I would even say... I kind of like the idea, because doesn't the spire of Uriel Larthus have, like, this council? Yeah, I don't know if you guys can see it. My overlay might be cutting it off a little bit. Um, and unfortunately, whenever I blow images up on Roll20, I can't actually move them. But there's kind of a scene here in the middle of the spire where there's like a bunch of chairs around, like where they kind of met. And I wonder if I can spin it where like normally attuning to the Mithalar, there was like the entire council of wizards did it at once. And that was how they uh, had it do things, like had it fly around and shit because it was so powerful. No one person could do it. And so he would be worried uh, why it's still functioning. It's like, are those whole, is the whole council still alive in the spire all these years later? Like, you can't imagine, like, how that would work. So that would, so we could kind of provide some interesting information that would just lead to more uh, questions. I really need to go back over Spire Eriol at this and make sure. I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. 
And maybe I'll keep more of it than I think I will, because I think a lot of it is not dungeon crawling. It's a lot of, like, just exploration and information you find. Yeah, there's some treasure in here. Search of Catabex's quarters yields several illegible tomes, 500 pounds of fossils, worth a total of 10,000 gold. A 500 gold diamond, if not consumed by the raised dead spell. A 500 gold emerald used for the magic jar spell. Staff made from a dragon wormling spine, which can be used as a spellcasting focus, and a librum of souls and flesh. Catabex's spell book. It's faded over the years and is no longer usable, which would... Make him functionally useless, I think. Can he use without a spell book? Maybe he just can't change his spells. Ring of Sound of Mine, a gift from Evira. I don't think I brought those over into this game. A love letter from Evira to Katavix. Letters located in the folds of a book. It's made of pink paper. Ooh, can I use that? Let's see. Use this letter, or is it reveal who she is? My dear Caravex, there is no sending spell that can contain the amount of affection I felt for you. You're the only person who I feel has ever seen the real me, though I suppose I should not be surprised that a necromancer would be the one to see past the glamour into the soul within. With this letter, I give you a ring as a testament of my feelings to you. The ring has the power to make its wear resistant to the charms of a wily enchantress like me. Okay, so I just reveal her as enchantress. I, and I feel like that would not work as Aurel's uh, backstory. In Lightning Tournament, that's cute. Uh, unfortunately, me changing all these things means I can't really use these handouts, but maybe I can get away with making my own. By the way, I'm flipping between the original um, Spanish Towers of uh, Magic. Seeing if there's certain things I need to bring over. Um, let's see, one of the treasures was the Library of Souls and Flesh. It's a book. Following spells, which are wizard spells for you while you're attuned to the book. Requires attunement by a wizard, so. Valen would love it, I guess. Summon undead. Speak with dead. Finger of death. False life. That's okay, a lot of death spells. Take on a semblance of undeath for 10 minutes. The creatures aren't different to you. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, I mean, that'd be, I, I I could maybe still have, like, some kind of cool magic item that, uh, Valen could do. Uh, maybe, maybe that's just his spellbook, too. He agrees to give Valen a spellbook if the players care. He's gonna be charmed. Eh, not gonna care. But having a love letter would be kind of cute. Um, I have to figure out what Aura was like before she became a goddess. No, probably not going to do a cursed item. So we will see. It's going to be fascinating to see what the players end up doing here. But if all goes according to plan, Katavix, they have fun with Lawrence, do whatever they want. Um, Katavix possesses somebody. They have a brief moment of high drama where they figure out what the hell's going on while the possessed character tries to find a diamond and then resurrect a body in here. Assuming I get away with that, <laughs> then Katavix will restore himself to his own body and give the player back their soul. And then his whole deal, as written, is wanting to just basically go to the Tower of Enchantment and figure out what happened to his lover. Um, but that's not going to be the case here. Instead, he'll want to know what happened to uh, Oral, although he'll probably call her by a different name. I could even still use Evira. And try to figure out, um, and, and what would his, where would he want to go? Uh, right myself in a corner with this one. Yeah, cold and distant. <laughs> I know, I don't picture as even writing a love letter. I see it maybe very, um, ambitious though, for sure. There's a, a, a classic love story. Just one was just too ambitious, and he was just like, no, don't. You don't want to do anything like that. Maybe she had uh, whispered about trying to take on the power of the Mythalar herself. Maybe, maybe she was on the council that I'm talking about that, that had to attune to the Mythalar. I think that's something I'm making up right now, but... Bar. 
Horse bridge, chamber of sorcery. It's actually a huge area. Dome, testing chamber. Um, okay. Testing chamber. Touch the stone spell. Speak thy master's name and enter. Character succeeds on DC intelligence. Character symbols on the door of the eight schools of magic. Any of the eight doors reveals our darkness beyond a creature's dark vision can't see. Speak one of Irialarthus's eight apprentices and then step through the door associated with that wizard school of magic. So I, I, she could still be the. She'd probably be the high transmuter. Right? Wouldn't that make more sense to become a cold? Transforming? Probably makes more sense. And transmute. I think you could still be cold. Themed as a transmutation. Or she could be the high evoker, too. Because if we're not going to use these places, then I don't need to canonically use any of these names. Unless I'm, I have to be consistent with it, certainly. Each time a character steps through a door without speaking the correct name, a barbed devil appears in the dark corridor beyond. That's kind of random. Why a barbed devil? Look at the spire. It's finally happening. We're looking at the spire. The final area. I do kind of plan on using another map here, though, but I may use a good chunk of this one because I do think it has stuff worth doing. There's this whole entrance area. I'll go over this more uh, on Thursday's stream as well. Here's... 19, so where is that? 19 I? I is, or no, that's L. L is before M. Yes, Eric, L comes before M. So that was the other one must go here. K, ooh, we gotta fight Living Blades of Disaster. That's fun, they've seen how strong those things are. Bust out those uh, living spells again. My master's name and enter. Wait, okay, so these are the doors. Gotcha. Okay, so you have to speak the name and enter. That's kind of a cool little puzzle thing. Then the chamber of the Ebon Star, which is M. Larthus' apprentice knows the wizards of the Ebon Star governed Etherin from this hall. Eight magically darkened corridors connect this hall to area Y19L. Foot passageway leads to a locked double door beyond which lies a balcony. And this is where maybe I could put the, the boss chamber I'm planning on doing. When Starfield represents the cosmos, it was known to the Netherese, a character who studies its fields, he's a strange phenomenon, a dark field. No star exists today. Eight schools of magic. Anyone has a supernatural charm gained by drinking from the goblet in Area Y8 can, can safely sit in the chair for the School of Magic tied to that charm. Well, unfortunately, they lose the charm after 24 hours. You can sit in the chair whichever matches their chosen arcane tradition. Door in this room, you'll have to use action. Okay. Really anything going on here then? Cause the doorway. Which doorway? The doorway down here? So this star field doesn't actually do anything. We just move through this door, teleport to the upper level of the area Y19Q. There's some more chambers off to the sides. Which is where Irilarthus is. So that's the, actually the final battle. Which is kind of a lame final battle room, frankly. Okay. So yeah, maybe, maybe he thinks enchantment. Are we like evocation more? Yeah, I guess that's where all the cold spells are. So maybe she was the high evoker. And he thinks that if the Mythalar is still, must be active now, then maybe some 
of the Wizards of the Ebon Star Survive, which I guess is just the club they have for all the high... Is it the same as the... I guess it is, because it even says on the, the doors, like, speak my name. So it must be all the leaders of the towers are part of this special club, which are specifically called His Apprentices. I might change the barbed... It just seems so random, a barbed devil attacks them. Used one of those before. I'm actually liking more of the spider than I thought. I, I thought I was gonna have to gut this whole thing and replace it, but it's not bad so far. I think the main thing I'm gonna change is just the final boss chamber Y19Q. I may just change. I may just change that with a Elder Brain final area. I don't know about keeping this starry field though. That seems kind of distracting. I guess that's the Ebon Star. Character next long rest can really get 20 intelligence saving throw. There's no advantage to looking at the thing, it's only bad things. <laughs> Thank you, Stan. <laughs> Those are in the details. He is the oldest Brian, for sure. <laughs> Scroll of the Comet just laying in this freaking library. Summon a 50 foot, or what is it, one mile away, you can summon a comet that crashes into the ground, creating a 50 foot deep, 500 foot radius crater on impact. Any creature in the area must make a DC 20 deck save, taking 30 D10 force damage. Wow. It's a legendary spell scroll. That's insane. I'd probably make it where it's a special scroll that anybody can use and not have to go through the rules because <laughs> it would be a shame to not be able to make that check. Well, so the balcony's not the thing that opens. So what's the door that opens then? Is it the is it the star thing that opens? I mean, he is the balcony. Doorway to open without having to sit in a chair. Maybe it. Okay, I guess the star field is the doorway. Yeah, I guess I missed that. Normally, you'd have to sit in a chair to make it open. Creatures that move through this door teleport to the upper level of Area Y19Q. You know what? That's video game-wise, if I was running the video game, that's why you need to ally with one of the wizard factions. Because one of them, either Valin or Avarice or Nass, would be able to sit in a chair and thus activate uh, the doorway. Scrolls on my party broke the glacier above and flew the city out. Holy shit. I do like the idea of like somehow, uh, like if you successfully, yeah, maybe that could be a possibility. Because <laughs> he's no longer gonna have a staff of power. I don't know about using the whole obelisk back in time thing. It just seems kind of wonky. Because in fact, as written, it's like you bring all of Faerun back in time. Like, all right, well, then it can no longer be a part of our D&D cinematic universe. <laughs> so I, that one never quite sat well with me. In terms of the ending. But uh, in terms of getting a flying city out of it, I don't. I don't know either. What I like, I think the most poetic ending is the very classic kind of uncharted thing, which is the ancient city. You know, some catastrophic thing happens and the ancient city is buried like once and for all, uh, which is very cliche, but that's kind of the safest thing to do. And this is like a, you know, a nuclear thing ready to explode. So you kind of have to tamp it down and get rid of it. But that's the kind of uh, sequence I would like to do. But you would need to have some kind of emergency egress for sure involved in that. Maybe that's the maybe that's and that that the crater can be an exit. Blast a hole through the ice to get out before everything explodes. I, yeah, I think I'm ignoring the whole spindle thing. Going with the. Uh, 
Aurel did it. A wizard did it, because of course she did. And then Aurel probably won't appear again until they unlock the Mythalar. So, you know, we may have a series of boss fights here at the end. It depends on how the players deal with the wizard factions at the Spire entrance. Um, you know, whether or not they decide to ally with some or fight them right then and there or just say, hey, hold your ho ho horses let's uh, and Pegasi, let's try and get inside and unlock the Mythalar and then we'll deal with this when we get there. And then maybe by the time the party do does that, you know, people are like fighting each other out there or something. So that could be a fight. And then we've got this little bit of a dungeon crawl, which there's not a whole lot of battles in here. It's a lot of exploration. Um, I think there's like brains in a jar we can battle here. Um, if ever there was a time to use a mage in fight, it would probably be with this brain in a jar battle. So that would probably be one fight. And then... I guess maybe some living spells could still, we could still use the Blade of Disasters. We could use this as kind of a little bit of a guard fight here. And then otherwise, it's a lot more exploration and then we can unlock the path to the final battle. Not No, sorry, not the final battle, the battle with the uh, Elder Brain, which would be Ariel Arthas, because you have to defeat him in order to fully shut off the force field and thus, you know, open the way to the Mithalar. And then once you've dealt with that, so I'm going to create this big ass multi, you know, session long boss fight. And that's technically not even going to be the final boss fight. That's just how you get to the Mythalar. And then when you get to the Mythalar, then I create a really insane sequence where, you know, whatever the players have decided in terms of their factions, they're all showing up. They all want a piece of that Mythalar. And then um, Aurel's definitely going to show up and she's going to want a piece of the Mythalar as well. The players are going to have to choose which people they're going to ally with. And then meanwhile, the Mythalar is going to be doing things like this the whole time. They're going to be battling, and it's going to be an insane sequence that I'm going to hope I can pull off because I won't really know what the players' choices are going to be either during this whole part of it. So that's my goal from here on out. And and I think I'm at this point saying we're not going to do the Tower of Evocation. I think we're I'm pretty comfortable with them doing five of the eight towers. So they'll end up doing their final Tower of Necromancy this week, and they, they may get through, you know, all of it and then some, and then we'll probably end up um, going back to the Spire, uh, meeting up with Valish and Nass. I'll have to figure out exactly how the Ice Devil thing um, works into it, because as written, the Ice Devil works for Avarice, but I have really haven't done the Devil Angle with Avarice at all, so that might come out of left field. Um, maybe the Ice Devil is allied with Valish and Nass now would be a fun twist, although he still has to report in in terms of the things that he missed, uh, which maybe that'd be funny if he came in and just reported um, what he did, and then and then they went like, so did you deal with Valish and Nass? And he's like, no. And then they like appear like, you know, from invisibility, and they said, yeah, he's with us now. <laughs> so you add another uh, creature to there. Uh, or like, we made a new contract or something. Um, would be would be a pretty fun twist and, and add to their power level and their faction. So we've got that as a as a faction. Then we've got Avarice and her and her forces as a faction. And then we'll have Aurel um, show up with whatever balanced amount of enemies I can have uh, as a faction. And then that crazy whatever complicated fight I can muster uh, will ultimately be the final final battle. And then we'll determine how they deal with the Mythalar. And yes, I like the angle of a hero sacrificing themselves very much. I would love it if, for example, the only way to deal with the Mythalar is to, like, attune to it yourself, but doing so is literally like, you know, Tony Stark Infinity Gems or something, where it's like, you, it's just gonna fucking kill you to do that, but you're gonna absorb all its, like, remaining energy or something. So, yeah, those are all my, those are all my ideas, which means we, it's hard to say still how much longer it's gonna be, because all of, you know, the, the Elder Brain fight and the Mythalar fight, those are both sessions like by themselves right that's at least two sessions um the spire of Ariel arthas probably gonna be two sessions we've got necromancy still as a session so at this point i'm probably saying we're gonna go through may and then probably end it uh in may which would officially be our longest campaign to date i believe because tomb of annihilation lasted uh 23 months and whatever it was 86 or 7 sessions and now rhyme is at uh 85 <laughs> sessions 
and we're gonna be going we've already gone uh at the end of this month we'll have gone two full years so holy moly hey taryn indestructible boy you brought an army with you and Aural shows up with Francine. <laughs> I bring back all of the NPCs that the party met. <laughs> Francine the Mammoth. Uh, Ballista the Goblin has to show up somehow. Um, the uh, the Goliath, I can't remember his name right now, would have to show up. All the friends we made along the way uh, would be... Now, the, I, I've got epilogue sequences i'm sure that they'll have to be involved with. and of course we'll definitely do a uh, a final epilogue and recap session which is like our uh what do they call it in a play a rap party or something where we just basically go over the whole campaign and talk about everything and it lasts a whole session so that will probably be in may i think we've got it pretty well uh mapped out by now uh, Indestructible Boy, thank you so much for uh, rating the channel. Unfortunately, I am just about to wrap things up here. <laughs> I've been going for about an hour uh, talking about the end of my Rhyme of the Frost Maiden campaign and what I hope to pull off. I'm not sure if we'll be able to do it, but I will, of course, try my best. Uh, but we've got the Tower of Necromancy. Coming up, uh, Jason, I think you said that you missed what I was planning on doing. Obviously, using the Expanded Towers of Aetherin, uh for sure. Um, I, I think it's going to be a blast. I'm going to try to possess either uh, Frey or Edmund, I think, are the best options. Uh, I think they would have the most fun being possessed by a 2,000-year-old necromancy wizard, if I can help it. And I'm looking forward to... Uh, Using that as another important NPC, although I'm worried I've got a lot of NPCs I'm about to throw at the players. Once they complete the Tower of Necromancy, uh, then we've got all, all those spinning plates are going to come either crashing down or I'm going to try to catch them as best I can. But everybody's going to be meeting at the Spire entrance, I guess. Or we could, it'd probably be easier to do it piecemeal. So maybe have the Valish and Nass and the Ice Devil meet them at some point along the way before they make it to the spire entrance and then at the spire entrance it probably makes the most sense to put uh avarice or at least her forces there maybe with uh and then they can call avarice over there she can teleport or something although things would be pretty tense if i get multiple especially all three of the wizards together i don't want to create like a battle of five armies right outside the spire entrance already do i that could be a little dicey and I don't necessarily have a battle map for right outside the gate, although I could just repurpose the street map, because we only used that street map like once, which was that one Nothic fight like forever sessions ago, like eight sessions ago or something. I don't, uh, I was going to use it for the the one last week, but they they actually declined to fight the my space sharks, which <laughs> I was a little bummed about, but... Uh, I thought the tactics worked out pretty well with sacrificing the Pegasus uh, and not being able to use the Shardalan Golem. Man, this is this has been the biggest uh, like when are they going to get to the fireworks factory moment in terms of when can I use the Shardalan Golem as a final thing. Maybe maybe it'll just have to show up at the Mithalar fight too because no, it, it would probably break everything. <laughs> way too much. Wish I had DM'd all the way through that thing. Did you not make it through Rhyme of the Frost Maiden or maybe your uh Maybe it ended at TPK for you. Vote nuclear option. <laughs> yeah, the nuclear the one the bad ending is the Mithalar. Uh, you you fail at at containing its energies. It explodes and just kills everyone inside here. Because that's basically what's happening or what's going to happen if the players don't try and stop it. And then depending on all their choices and actions is, you know. I, maybe even try to kill a goddess here. I don't know if if somehow, you know, using the power of them. Or, you know what also be a cool ending? Is if, you know, I talked about how maybe one player can sacrifice themselves to uh, kind of attune to the Mithalar by themselves. Very much like a Infinity Gem situation where nobody can, no one person should be able to do it. But if you do, you, the same thing with that happened to um, Aurel in my campaign where you become a god. <laughs> you are you are given an apotheosis. 
So that would be an insane chance for a player to basically suddenly ascend at the same level as Aural, and then you could have this this hilarious like, you know, anime credit sequence of just two gods just blasting into each other or something crazy. Man, all of this could happen. I have no idea. All right, I am just gassed though. Again, uh, thank you so much, uh, Indestructible Terran, for uh, rating the channel. Aqua Astro for the super chat. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, folks, I am uh, crafting, streaming these crafting streams uh, Mondays and Thursdays. And then you can catch our D&D live streams on every Friday evening, at least for the next couple of weeks as we wrap up this uh, rhyme campaign. And then the, well, we'll still be doing D&D on most Fridays, but we'll be doing probably some other one-shots and smaller maybe like classic D&D adventures and, and maybe exploring some other rule sets a little bit as well before starting our next campaign. So I do plan on taking a little bit of time off. All right. I believe that is going to do it for this week's crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreon.com slash rogue Watson. Shoutouts to platinum patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Role, Play, Role, Christopher, Brian, William, David, Corey, Coa, 1337, Big Nut, John, John, Chris, Scott, Gene, Eric, Socks, Dan, Tyler, Nathan, Camp, Crystal Lake, Counselor, and Big Shep. And gold patrons, RPG, Paper Crafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, The Lizard Lounge, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fazica, Tortoise, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, and William. Thank you all very much for your support. We'll see you for another crafting stream on Thursday. Bye.